0: This is the Spirit and Wellness Show. News and information from a higher perspective. With your host, Harry Wilkinson. Hello, and welcome to the Spirit and Wellness Show. I am Harry Wilkinson, and this is the show where we take a look at the days and weeks, events, happenings around us, internationally, domestically in the areas of science, technology, the environment, everything that we hear about, interact with throughout uh, the course of our day and week. And we take a step back, a relaxing, hopefully, a step back to look at it from a higher perspective. And what I mean by a higher perspective, if you've heard the show before, you understand I'm talking from somewhat of a, uh, of a, uh, metaphysical position, but I'm also talking, um, from a very pragmatic and practical, uh, point of view. We live in a time now with ever-proliferating forms of, uh, information gathering, shall we say? communication, too, but um, more that information is being shouted at us from almost every corner now, Uh, whether it be through your uh, tablets or social media or smartphones or the 24-hour news cycle, which seems like you can't escape even if you don't have cable. Uh, I mean, when you Walk into a store, or you walk into a doctor's office, and they've got it playing constantly. Uh, it it becomes a, a, a sense of being of uh, a sense of feeling bombarded for many, uh, and it can bring a sense of overwhelm uh, overwhelmingness. I don't know if that's an actual word, but um, you know what I mean a sense of feeling overwhelmed by either too much information or Inaccurate information or information that's just designed to disturb you in one way or another, (laughs) and uh, we need to have a tool—at least one—and I say uh, uh, many, but uh, at least one tool in which to cope with this, to manage this, and I—the premise of this show, the basis of this show. Uh, is that this is a wellness issue, as well as a, you know, a, a, an issue of your spirit and your your mental health as well. But it's uh, you know, in the idea of wellness, obviously everything's connected. That's what the term holistic means. Everything is connected. So your spiritual, if you will, or or your spirit your mental health affects your body, and your body uh, interacts with that, uh, and it's uh, a whole circuitry there, that uh, if you pull out one, or or one breaks, then uh, the rest are affected in one way or another. So being able to take that step back, being able to take a different perspective on something that is, um, by the way, almost always clearly designed to disturb you, uh, provoke emotion, uh, often negative emotions, uh, promote fear, uh, anxiety. Uh, These are things that um, are the most compelling, which is what the gatekeepers of our media uh, need to keep people listening, watching, whatever. So uh, they will design things to immediately push those buttons. And, of course, what that does, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed, it triggers a uh, what... what uh, I've talked about on the show before is the fight or flight response, which is, um, uh, a response that we have to imminent danger. It's ingrained in us, and, uh, once upon a time, uh, served us very well when, uh, you know, we were not in such, uh, complicated environments. You need a fight or flight response if something is, uh, you coming towards you and you sense danger, then you need to be able, your body needs to be able to uh, immediately go into protective mode uh, to either get away from the danger or fight it off. And that's easy to do if you're in, you know, um, uh, an environment where uh, the dangers are pretty straightforward. Whether it be uh, uh, animals uh, that can be dangerous, or whether it can, whether it's uh, people coming after you, <laughs> or or another tribe coming uh, t- to uh, you know take your land or what have you. But in you know modern times, uh, this fight or flight response, which we still have, uh, gets triggered by a lot of things, by uh, a negative statement uh, by being uh, you know criticized by your boss or uh, by uh, having a bad day uh, at work or getting stuck in a traffic jam. it triggers this. and what happens is in the fight or flight response you have uh, or we can just call it the stress response. Perhaps that's the best term for it now. It's the same thing, but, uh, because nowadays, since there's really, uh, very little to flee or fight, uh, it's more about stress and, uh, you know, undo stress. So in the stress response, the body, uh goes into a mode where all energy is moved towards, you know, a, uh, self-protection kind of mode to either, uh, run from the problem or fight from the problem. And when the body goes into the stress response, uh, the immune system uh, shuts down quite a bit because uh, the energy is needed uh, immediately for um, what is being sensed as immediate danger. And when that happens, of course, then we become more vulnerable uh, to diseases and our own immune system uh, is not able to function adequately to do that. So, the counter to the stress response is the relaxation response. And in relaxation response, of course, uh, we uh, reinvigorate the immune system by de-stressing. So the tool I'm talking about as far as uh, interacting with uh, the news stories of the day, if you will, the information of the day uh, is a relaxation response in a way. Uh, and anything meditate, meditative, anything uh, you know uh, contemplative in a way uh, is a way of invoking the relaxation response. But what's interesting about this is that, uh, and this is you know you know need to apply it to just, you know, stories that disturb you, anything in your world that seems like it's out of control, uh, you know, that's causing you anxiety, is something you can use this tool with. And it's relatively simple, you know, going into the situation, the news, the information, whatever it is that's... that's causing you this discomfort rather than uh, running from it, pushing it away trying to make it go away you go into it you feel it as fully as you can uh, uh, allowing all of those feelings, whatever they are to come up to the surface and once you're inside of that here comes the jujitsu trick. You look at the situation... from the perspective of... it being something... created... by you... at the highest level... of your being. You look at the situation as though it were uh, in in terms you might be able to relate to today a, a virtual reality game something that's created to look and feel extremely real and designed for you to have these experiences but have them in a safe way to feel all of those things, but also understand behind it that it's not the reality of you. It's not the truth of who you are. That indeed, even though you may be within the framework of that virtual reality uh, situation, feeling vulnerable, feeling scared, maybe feeling endangered, and on a more serious level, maybe even your uh, physical uh, avatar, if you will, your physical uh, representation within the game uh, is uh, at risk. But behind that, behind it all, is an understanding that you are safe, That you are experiencing this in a way designed to give you these experiences. Because at the highest level of who and what we are, we are more than our physical bodies. And at that level, we are creators and we are creating everything around us and again this is not something that you can I mean you can sort of develop an intellectual understanding of it but this is something that goes much deeper it's an awareness That's as much as I can really explain it if you try to from a you know materialistic Uh, uh, perspective sort out uh, why we are creating these things in a way that um, is acceptable to uh, the uh, rules of the game that we have made for ourselves, well, you'll probably be quite puzzled. But it's getting beyond that. And it's an understanding of, uh, again, it's an an awareness. And that really only comes through meditation, I think. It really only comes through going within and going uh, inside the situation. So once you're there, once you've felt the feelings, and once you've reminded yourself or told yourself uh, this is an amazing illusion, an amazing creation we've created. Look at the detail, be impressed by uh, the level of reality that it uh, that it has for you that it feels like. and recognize it as such and recognize it as an amazingly complex and brilliantly conceived illusion from which you now are going to take your energy from. And just simply do that, take the energy from it, without any desire to change anything, but with pure appreciation of the illusion itself And with the one thought in mind uh, of taking your energy back from it, so that you may now use that energy to create something different. And just in that process alone, you know, feeling the energy come back, taking the energy from the situation, and you, you can even visualize that in, in whatever way you would want to do that. maybe. Uh, light coming uh, into you maybe a rainbow surrounding you however you want to uh, uh, visualize that that can help too but just that process uh, is empowering it gives you that step back to know that the situation doesn't control you You are more than that situation or that feeling or that set of circumstances or whatever it happens to be. And that's the tool. And that's what we talk about on this show. bit of a lengthy uh, introduction to the show today. Uh, I usually start by, you know, touching on those points. But I went a little further today because I think it's uh, something that... uh, many more can benefit from these days. Uh, I think the experience of this pandemic and all of the things that have gone on, uh, all of the feelings, the losses that many have, have had, the, uh, the uh, changes that many have experienced have, as these things do, as these things are meant to do, opened people up and given an opportunity to expand further into the truth of who and what they are and into an understanding of what that is. So we've been talking about uh, our, in our last program. We talked about the biofield therapies uh, and the research that's being done in that area. Uh, and just to uh, you know recap, uh, the biofield is this energy field that surrounds the human body. And it was given that name. Uh, somewhere in the 90s uh, there was a meeting of uh, uh, scientists, clinical professionals uh, who wanted to kind of have a name for all of these these different practices that many of which have existed for for centuries from different cultures. Uh, Practices such as uh, Reiki, uh, Qigong, which involves movement and energy, and more current or recent ones uh, such as Therapeutic Touch, or TT, and Healing Touch, HT, which are uh, adaptations of you know, ancient practices into uh, modern-day uh, program that can be taught uh, and uh, trained, and teachers can be trained in. So the term biofield therapies was coined, um, and uh, oh, there it is. There's the date, 1992, at the U.S. National Institutes of Health conference and biofield therapies are defined as non-invasive practitioner-mediated therapies that explicitly work with the biofield of both the practitioner and the client to stimulate a healing response in the client and that healing response, by the way is what I was just talking about as the relaxation response. It energizes the body's own natural ability to heal. So at the same conference in 1992, biofield, the term, was defined as a massless field, not necessarily electromagnetic, that surrounds and permeates living bodies and affects the body. And all of these therapies, these different therapies, work within that uh, area, with that understanding of the biofield. And lots of research has been done in these areas. Traditional science, for a year, has has resisted the idea that, there's, that there even is such a thing as a biofield. Uh, but the research has begun to show. Uh, you know, increasing evidence of this. Uh, The problem is, like with traditional research in science, uh, if research uh, results show a certain correlation, that something seems to be happening here, well, then that generally triggers more interest in the topic and more uh, research. But because there is such a uh, a real uh, resistance to just to the idea, like traditional scientists don't even want to know, or don't even, it, it, because it so revolutionizes a world concept that they are stuck in, uh, the research just isn't being done. Because it's so much easier to dismiss something and say there's no research to support it when you're not doing the research (laughs) that might give you the results to show you. So, there's a large push, and I mentioned uh, 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 the uh, uh, Noetics Institute as being a primary uh, leader in this field, to have more uh, research being done in this field. Uh, I won't spend too much time talking about that because I talked a lot about it uh, in the previous uh, episode. So if you you missed it, you want to know more about that, you can you can uh, find that uh, uh, podcast from last week or two weeks ago, and and listen to that. But I did want to review, uh, <clears throat> the different biofield therapies that we're talking about. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, biofield is basically the energy field that surrounds the body. And many of the systems that we're talking about, it, uh, deal with a subtle energy system within that biofield. And in using that, uh, they are able to, uh, in many cases, bring about uh, varying levels of stress reduction, uh, emotional, mental health improvement, uh, reduction in physical pain, and in some cases healing. And most of this is used with just the hands. And that's why I began to you know, to do this, uh, this topic uh, last week or, or two weeks ago, because uh, I felt like it was important to talk about how powerful touch is I mean the pandemic ha- pandemic has brought this fear up so greatly that uh, we're afraid to touch each other and understandably so there needs to pre- precautions need to be taken but the idea that somehow uh, we should now live in a world where we don't touch each other very often uh, is not only um, not likely it's actually um, uh, well it's actually going in the wrong direction it would actually make us more susceptible to illnesses rather than less and this is why so the common areas of uh, of biofield healing are Reiki as I mentioned Uh, which comes from Japan. The Healing Touch, which uh, was created uh, by uh, uh, a nurse by the name of Janet Menken in 1989. Uh, And uh, Healing Touch is different from Reiki. Reiki is just sort of uh, a gentle healing experience uh, where the practitioner and the client open up to a uni- universal life force energy. Uh, and this energy sort of flows through the individuals, through the hands. There's 13 hand positions on the body. Reiki often corresponds and uses chakras. Uh, if you've heard of the term chakras, there are uh, seven chakras uh, from the crown all the way to the, uh, uh, the uh, groin area. And each chakra has a different uh, correlation to our experience as humans. Crown chakra being the highest chakra, that's our... Our connection to the, uh, spirit, that's our connection to all. And the lowest chakra uh, in the groin area, that's uh, uh, passion, uh, that's um, uh, reproduction, that's uh, uh, animal instinct in a way. So, anyway, uh, Reiki uses. Uh, often uses these chakra positions, uh, depending on what uh, the patient is uh, experiencing and what they're trying to uh, relieve or uh, or accomplish. Uh, there's three types of training, Reiki 1, Reiki 2, and Reiki Master. Um, there's a professional association. Uh... Called the International Association of Reiki Professionals. And it's uh, become acceptable and a part of a lot of hospital care around the country, um, particularly for recovery from procedures, you know, very invasive procedures, or managing stress around health issues. Uh, research has shown it to help with uh, stress reduction and prevention, anxiety, depression, pain reduction. Uh, and boost immune system support uh... improving resilience and also for cancer patients for physical and mental health support healing touch uh, is uh... different from reiki uh, as i mentioned it was uh, founded by a nurse uh, miss Menken. Uh, its assumption is that uh... The practitioner and the client complete the healing using the hand positions and clearing energy. Uh, it's not understood to be a spiritual process, uh, although there are practitioners who may approach it that way. Uh, the healing occurs through shifts in energy, very real shifts in energy, through the process of touch itself. it has a training program that uses manuals for specific hands-on healing positions and the positions vary depending on what the client uh, presents with the uh, practitioners and so decisions are made about what kind of treatment is necessary what is uh, what the uh, required result is and uh... Those positions are used, uh, or, or a plan of treatment is developed around that. Uh, it is a course, uh, five-level course for training before the practitioner is certified. It requires extensive case practice and supervision before the certification happens. And there, again, has been studies on using Healing Touch that have shown assistance with anxiety, depression, trauma, pain reduction, and and other things. One of the uh, really promising things about uh, this kind of approach, the biofield healing, uh, for me, uh, is this pain reduction. All of them have shown, all of these techniques have shown. Uh, really positive results in that area. And that's so promising uh, because if we can reduce the amount of chemicals, the amount of drugs that are used to treat pain, if we can begin to develop uh, the body's natural way of um, anesthetizing itself, we will be doing an amazing, uh, uh, you know, an amazing uh, leap forward in healthcare. So many problems, so many complications arise due to the use of either uh, pain relief uh, uh, medications that are too powerful and addictive, and or anesthetics, anesthesia in, in procedures which uh, can cause people to go into seizures, can cause them to, to uh, have severe reactions. Uh, to be able to use this in a way that might um, lessen the use of such things, I, I think is very, very exciting. Another form of biofuel healing we talked about last time, therapeutic touch. Founded by another nurse, Dolores Krieger. Uh, and Dora Kunz in the 1970s uh, in New York. And it was the first program, program to directly connect biofield healing to healthcare. Uh, TT established a very important foundation for these other forms, Reiki and Healing Touch, to become uh, more more accepted uh, and for more training and practice to be used now there are other things that we didn't uh, talk too much about uh, like the uh, Qigong which is another uh, uh, form of of using energy it's like um, Tai Chi (laughs) uh, mixed with therapeutic healing So in Qigong, movement is used to uh, induce healing. Uh, Another form is pranic healing. Uh, That is a Hindu uh, ancient practice. Uh, It was established by the healing program Itself, called Pranic Healing is not ancient um, but it's based on ancient techniques. And the program itself that we now know as Pranic Healing was established by uh, Grandmaster Choi kok in the late 20th century. And again works with the biofield works with chakras but also uses colors and crystals in the healing process and consists of A minimum of six levels of training, and much more extensive manuals uh, than any of the other forms, including Healing Touch. It is a very intensive, detoxifying type of biofield healing, and the training is, as I mentioned, highly rigorous and highly supervised, uh, with strong oversight. And uh, it has a lineage system similar to Reiki. So there are very few students uh, who, who, uh, or students of Grand Master Choa, who can oversee the training. And so it is probably less well known at this time because there are less practitioners of it. So research is progressing. Slowly but surely, uh, there's a, a, a really comprehensive uh, study uh, uh, that is posted on the National Institutes of Health's website. Uh, it's entitled Clinical Studies of Biofield Therapies Summary, Meth- Methodological Challenges, and Recommendations. And uh, what they did was to study studies, basically. Uh, They studied, let's see, they took a look at studies of all of these different areas, the different uh, types, and they found uh, in some cases they found um, positive correlations to healing in other places, they found some conflicting evidence, but uh, with some promising uh, uh, results. Uh, but in all of these uh, areas, including pain reduction, uh, including uh, reducing symptoms of fatigue and anxiety and depression, particularly in cancer patients. Uh, There was enough evidence that would, as I you know mentioned in any other situation, uh, encourage further study, which is what this uh, this study at the end of the paper ends up doing, uh, recommending further study. But so many uh, in this. in science, so many scientists are, are reluctant to do so unless you have a real uh, passion for this, if, unless you have a real uh, interest in this most uh, or many scientists are loath to do it because it means taking a very huge risk in your reputation for, for some you'll be seen as some sort of a crackpot unfortunately But, God bless them, there are uh, quite a few who are are leading the charge and and still doing it, so that's great. Uh, And I look forward, and I believe that we will have more studies in these areas. And then we talked about grief last week, so I want to, you know, wrap up by, uh, you know, focusing more on that because I didn't get a lot of time to do that. Uh, And grief is something that um, many of us are going through. We all go through it. The experience of loss is one of the most powerful things that uh, I think we go through in our our human experience. And uh, it's something, as I said, through the processing of it expands us. I truly believe that. But uh, I also think a lot of people don't really understand when they're going through grief, or you know what grief actually is, because we tend to associate it with, uh, you know. Uh, Death of someone, uh, or death of uh, a pet or loved one, uh, or sometimes we in, in the divorce or um, uh, loss of your own health, those are the kinds of things we, we try to generally connect uh, grief to. But um, grief can be triggered by so many things. Um, a loss of financial stability, you lose your job, uh, you have a loss of a friendship, maybe a loss of a way of life, or a cherished dream, maybe just moving away from your, your, uh, family home or childhood home, uh, graduating from, uh, college, changing jobs. There's a sense of loss, and each sense of loss is important. And working through that, it's hard to see it as a gift, but I believe that's what it is. Whatever the cause of the grief, uh, it is the beginning of an opening up for you. And how it happens, the process it happens, you know, there's no one way that it happens. What we talked about last time uh, is this idea that uh, the f- we have these five stages of grief, which you may have heard of. Uh, they were uh, written or created more, um, uh, introduced by uh, psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she had researched uh, feelings of patients who were facing terminal illness, and in her research came to the understanding of these five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so it's become very popularized, and the idea that you move sort of linearly through these stages one stage at a time uh, has become a very popular idea but it's not true first of all these stages she she was talking about uh, were specific to people who had a terminal illness people who were dying and how they came to accept what was happening to them and in the ways that they did It's been expanded to, uh, you know, apply to any kind of grief that people are going through. And I don't think, number one, that it was meant to to be expanded that way. Uh, Kubler-Ross herself said she never intended for those stages to be sort of a, a rigid framework that applies to everyone who mourns Uh, Before her death in 2004, she said... uh, ...of the five stages of grief... ...that they were never meant to help... ...tuck messy emotions into neat packages. (coughs) They are responses to loss that many people have... ...but there is not a typical response to loss. (coughs) Pardon me. And I don't think that... uh, ...these are stages that everyone goes through. Uh, Some people resolve grief without going through any of them. Uh, And even if they do go through them, it it probably won't be (laughs) in a linear fashion. So I think a lot of people have that expectation and I think that uh, throws a lot of people off about you know, what grief is and how they ought to be feeling about it. Uh, other things that I think uh, are difficult for people is an idea that somehow the pain will go away faster if you ignore it. And just like with the, uh, the wellness tool I, I uh, was talking about at the beginning of the show for dealing with uh, problematic situations that cause you uh, discomfort. Ignoring it doesn't help. Going into it does. And the same is for grief. So if you're wanting real healing uh, from it, uh, it's probably necessary to face the grief and actively go into it. Now, some people might avoid that because uh, they may have an attachment to the grief. The grief may give them a a sense of identity in a strange way. And facing it, and the the idea of healing it, might be something that um, is counterproductive to what they really want, which is, or, or what they are, what they're holding on to. Something to think about. There's another, uh, uh, false idea that you need to be strong in the face of loss. You know, be strong, right? You hear people say that to you, right? When you're going through a, a tough time. But feeling sad, frightened, or lonely, even crying is a very normal reaction, of course. Uh, and you don't need to put on a brave front. Uh, you can show your feelings. Now, Granted, you, you may get some pushback from family or friends and, and who, who are, might not know what to say to help. It's very difficult to know what to say to someone. So you may hear them say things like that because of this false idea. But I think it's important not to let that uh, affect you or stop you from feeling those feelings. There's another false idea that if you're not crying, you're not sorry about the loss. Uh, this is just not true. While crying is a normal response, it's not the only one, and some people may not have that response. doesn't mean they're not feeling the pain just as deeply. It just means they have a different way of showing it. And some people get puzzled as to why they can't cry. They have a feeling they ought to be crying. And they're feeling the the loss, and they're feeling the pain deeply, but somehow can't get to the tears. And I think that's another false idea. You don't have to. Just depends on on what your response to things is. And you may have confusing responses because there's more to you than maybe you thought. Now, this is a weird one, and I don't know where it came from, but uh, somehow there's a false belief that grieving should last about a year. Um, Obviously, that seems rather silly, because there's no time frame for such things. so uh, before we end here, you know, I just wanted to touch on those topics and, uh, you know, help people who, you know, loss is a, is a very tricky thing, but uh, because we're talking about energy healing and biofield therapies, I wanted to talk about how biofield energies and energy healing itself can be used in the grief uh, healing process. And actually, uh... In energy healing, you wouldn't necessarily want to heal grief, since it is a normal process, but you want to keep it moving through the body. So, as energy healers would say, they don't want it to get stuck uh, in uh, our physical, uh, in our energy field or the physical body, because that can cause a pain and illness. Uh, that whole process as I mentioned is this powerful opportunity for growth for spiritual growth Uh, and it allows us to expand and feel our connections to a much greater degree Uh, We can go through a process of reassessing what's truly important in our lives. It can really be something that gives us a clearer lens on things. There are uh, many gifts uh, within this. So touch itself is very comforting. You know, holding... Uh, And there's been research uh, on the positive effects of holding someone's hand, uh, of touching someone uh, on their heart. So there's that aspect of it, too. But then there are things like acupressure uh, that has been used to help uh, in... Keeping the uh, or the grieving process, assisting the grieving process, I guess is how you would how you would uh, say it. Um, to bring peace, to bring a sense of of uh, letting go. Uh, the chakras are often worked in this kind of thing, uh, so. They might work with the first chakra, which is the b- basic sense of self, uh, because often a loss can shake uh, your sense of security, and so uh, working with the first chakra can help with that. And going on up, second chakra is, uh, you know, uh, the pleasure center. Third chakra is the heart. That might be used if the loss is uh, something that uh, is causing worldly stress, uh, loss of a spouse, and having to raise children, or uh, a loss of finances, that kind of thing. Fourth chakra uh, can be helpful. Fifth chakra in re- as uh, as you go through uh, as you go through your grief process and begin to. Um, reshape your life. Uh, Fifth chakra work can be helpful there. Uh, A lot of energy healers might do something like um, clearing the field. That's a term that uh, an energy healer would use. Um, That would be something they might use for grief support to move stuck emotions and trauma or any other energy that might be stuck. Uh, because uh, grief can also trigger a lot of different emotions, a lot of memories, a lot of things that uh, maybe have been stuck for a long time, and uh, the process itself can help to move all of that. In a guided meditation, in breathing in light, might also be something very, very helpful where you, of course breathing is always uh, important in our meditations and in this one you would imagine or feel that with each breath you're breathing in light and as you breathe it in your body fills with the light and then as your body fills with the light It begins to fill your energy field, as well. And soon you're surrounded with beautiful white light. Maybe a foot or more, all around your body, emanating from you. I think that's a powerful visual image. And, uh... Something that may really help to break through that energy. And, uh, so these are some of the ways in which energy healing would work with grief. And, uh, well, here's a, f- uh, Here's a uh, quote from a Buddhist monk by the name of the not Han I hope I pronounced that right and I found this on uh, a site that uh, is called the energy healing site.com and uh, in fact I will post that uh, shortly. On my uh, Facebook page, just go to Facebook, type in H. Wilkinson Media, and it'll bring you to the Metaphysical Media page where uh, all episodes of the podcast are posted and uh, supporting articles are sometimes posted as well. <coughs> so I'll try to get that up today. Anyway, the quotation goes, Suppose you are impressed with a particular cloud in the sky. When it is time for that cloud to become rain, you won't see that cloud anymore, and you will cry. But if you know that the cloud has been transformed into the rain, and the rain is calling you, darling, I'm here, I'm here. If you have that kind of capacity of recognizing the continuation of that manifestation, you don't have to live in despair and grief. That is why, for those who have lost someone who is close to him or to her, I advise that they look deeply within and see that the one who was close is still there, somehow. And with the practice of deep looking, they can recognize his or her presence very close to them. really like that quote a lot. So, until next time, Here's to some deep looking in all our lives, and the power we can have to help us. Hope to see you next time.